So here's a sound check from me. How's the sound tonight? Is that good? Jenny, yeah. Yeah. Up more, did you need, Elaine? A little more. Let's see if we can get it without the metal tops. Testing, testing. Is that okay, Elaine, if I speak like that? And is there any metal at the top? Maybe for the those of us who have canine heritage can hear it. Testing, testing. All right. I'll look for you, Elaine, and you can do that if it gets quiet. Um, just before we begin, to inform you, I have a message, kind message from Ebony here. Um, just to let you know that one of us tested positive today. Yeah, so they've gone home, dear them. And um, so Ebony asks us now, as our carer, she's our kind of overall holder and carer of uh, protocols and frames here, she asks that if you're coughing, and sn- if you're sneezing, if you're coughing, you must wear a mask. We've gone up a notch. <laughs> you must have gone up a notch to must. Yes. Um, and if people are symptomatic or concerned about their health, you're always welcome to come to the front office. Yes, you're really, really welcome to come to the front office to take another test, if that's important or necessary for you. Um, Masks are here and here, and we put some at the back. Yep, see where um, Monica's got her hand up? If anyone wants one now, you can wave to Monica or come over and get one from Jack. You got one here, and thanks. Thank you, everyone, for caring for that. Of course, the masks are free, and you can have them even if you haven't got symptoms. Of course. Um, I'd like to offer some reflections on, I think I could call it one theme, I could call it three themes, and I will do them in order, one, two, three, and they will all interweave at the same time as well. So you might see some order, but you'll also see interweaving. The first theme is the one of the lists from the Buddha that he, that he gave in his very first sermon his very, very first turning of the Dhamma wheel, that I, in my 30-something years of practice now, have become more and more grateful for, actually, um, and the way he can invite us to work with this list. Number one. Number two um, is to look at two of the insight ways of looking, ways of attending to experience that are intended to liberate, to unbind the sense of self, other, and world. And we can practice with those. And they will be familiar names to you all, I suspect, unless you're completely new. Okay, so welcome to these marvelous, precious, dhamma, seeing instruments that can really liberate and unbind the heart. And I will... uh, There's three classic... Ones that many of you will know, the three characteristics. 
and I'll reflect on two of those. But the third one comes in, so you can see it's, it's a weave. that enough of the that's what I tell you what I'm going to do in case I don't get to do it that's what, so maybe I'll tell you what those two ones I'm going to do I'm going to talk a little bit about the um, dukkha as a way of looking dukkha not only things are dukkha but I adopt that as a way of attending to experience both from the very obviously difficult to the not difficult and what I have found and I'm so grateful for is an incredible, lovely, happy-making practice of seeing dukkha. Um, and also uh, anatta, not-self, as a way of looking another precious seeing instrument. Um, that when we see and sustain in that way, that way of looking, it conduces to unbind self and other and world. It is liberating. Okay. So first I'll go through the list of the five skandhas in a kind of technical way, conceptual way. Skandhas is a translation, uh, uh, is not a translation, that's Pali. The translation in English can be uh, heaps or piles, just things that have kind of been heaped together. They don't have any sort of inherent core. You just kind of, you know, things just pile together, like a heap of sand or a pile of bits and bobs, whatever. You don't say that here, do you? I remember. (laughs) A pile of bits and bobs. So these are the five piles of bits and bobs. So the first is form, form, which covers our physical form and all physical forms um, internally, physical forms, and out externally form. Feeling, Vedana, we've looked at. Uh, Pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. Perception. Perception is really a beautiful investigation in the Dharma. It it refers to what many of us may think of as perception, which is like the labeling of things, right? And it refers to the way we're active in that, we actively participate in forming the appearance of definite things. And we can really study that through our phenomenology, uh, through phenomenology if we're interested to. So form, feeling, perception. I'm going to miss out the fourth one because I'll do it last. Mm -hmm. Fifth, sense consciousness. Consciousness that cognizes the, through the six senses, the five senses and the mind, that consciousness of that coming together, of sound with the ear and the, and the knowing. Yeah. The fourth, sometimes translated as karmic formations. These are, these also take in all the others. These are programmings, patternings, that drive us, or that we can drive. Uh, They can be skillful. They can be unskillful programs. And in in the path, we seek to cultivate skillful karmic formations, generosity, right? And we seek to um, 
allow unskillful formations to either not arise or when they arise, allow them to be seen kindly and with wisdom and they start to wear out. And that's anything from a language that we speak. That's a karmic formation. Speaking English, it's a momentum, it's a program, it's a useful program. It's a heap, (laughs) it's a pile, it's a concoction, it doesn't have any ultimate truth, but it's a programming nonetheless. And once it's up and running, it's got a momentum and it kind of reprograms itself and keeps itself going. And it can go right through this idea to the little habits. Even our gate, G-A-I-T, I think you spell it, the way we might amble along. Nobody's is like anybody else's. It's completely shaped, marvelously so. There's a complete pattern of itself and we reinforce it or we, you know, there's nothing wrong there. But it's a, a patterning, a programming. Right through the language, how I walk, right through to a self-view of there being a separate self here. That idea, that momentum of the self being concocted again and again, right through to both the painful and glorious self-senses that we tell ourselves again and again karmic formation, if any of you have this one, and I know some of you do. We've talked about it in the groups. But any, substitute here, any of your painful karmic formations of self. And the one I'm thinking of is a kind of bottom card for some of us. Is there something wrong with me? Something wrong with me, which is a kind of an amalgam of a thought, a feeling. It's got a habit pattern. It's got a momentum, Right? It's got, a, it's got a history and it's got a momentum. It's sort of ready to, be, ready to be seen. Sometimes I think of these formations like um, on the bottom of my Mac here, you know, the dock with the little icons of the too many things I've got up and running on my, <laughs> on my desktop. So I say iTunes is there or I don't know, what's that? And sometimes they jump up and down. I'm not quite... You know, savvy enough to know why is that one jumping up and down? <laughs> Hopefully, you are. But we want to we want to know this with our mind, right? Um, I can go to quit all, oh, but anyway, I'll ask one of you later. Um, sometimes they jump jump up and down, so we think we have to click on them. Or sometimes they jump up and down, and the cursor goes and it clicks on it accidentally and fills the whole desktop. And then, you know, with those painful programmings, it's like <gasps> I'm wrong, and everything tells me that. The way the person looks at me, I'm, I, I'm kind of primed. My senses is primed to see that and have it confirmed. So painful. And we can be liberated through wise and kind ways of looking. Right through to a sort of a more glowing self-sense. Any of you admit to have any of those? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. But I would rather tell you I think I'm bad. Right? I don't know yours. Honestly, I don't know yours. I'm parodying my own mind. I'm great, but also built on a concoction of conditioned momentum. Right? Um, And our senses are primed. Looking around. 
I'm probably in the top 5%. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe top 4%. By whatever criteria I might be measuring it. But let's say it's stillness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, me and that one over there. Right? <laughs> These kind of, and there it is, we're primed, we'll look for it, we'll see it, it will be confirmed, there's no freedom, it's not that much fun. After a while, if you sit with your own mind, even if in the world, it's like, no, I think you're great, you're great. It's actually really boring after a while, as probably most of us know. It's not a strong one of mine, by the way. Um, somebody mentioned in the group today, they saw this building process, right, which is all of those heaps together, they said, I can see myself drawing in, pulling towards myself, different ideas to build a sense of myself. And you're seeing it too, right? It's like this idea, this sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, it wasn't a pleasant or gladdening task. It was, she didn't say it was tiring, but I know it's tiring. You probably know it's tiring. It's, I was, now, that, now that person is nodding. <laughs> um, it's tiring. It's not gladdening. But they saw that pulling towards them of those ideas, those senses, those emotions to concoct this sense of self. When we can see that process, There's enough stability of mind. In that moment, that person had enough stability of mind, enough equanimity to not be pulled and pushed by the things that were demanding to be clicked on and become their desktop. Sometimes, somebody else saw today in a group, the absence, which are also really important to see absences, the absence of that momentum of scrambling to try and re-establish a status quo of who I am in story, in feeling, in perception. So if all that sounds a bit complicated, we're going to break it down. If it doesn't sound complicated, great, let's keep practicing um, with it. So I'm going to um, chant the chant that I was given in the um, Thai forest monasteries in England, Amaravati, and um, where they chant the monks and nuns every day, many, many things. But they chant a homage to the Buddha Dharma Sangha. They start there, but where they go to is this reflection on the five skandhas, the five heaps. And in the reflection on the five heaps, they apply each of these three precious seeing instruments of anicca, anatta, and dukkha, impermanence, not-self, and unsatisfactoriness. So in the chant, I'm not going to do the whole thing, it takes about 15 minutes, Um, they start with a homage to the Buddha Dharma Sangha. Why? Why? Anyone here who knows, who has a devotional practice, or inclines their heart in that direction. They begin by praising the Buddha and all their qualities and their knowledge and their wisdom and their metta and their offering. They praise the Sangha. They praise the Dhamma, these teachings that point here and now that are 
are timeless, that invite investigation, that lead onward. They praise and lift all of that up. And my sense of why, it's, it's beautiful. It also puts the heart in a posture when there is devotion in the heart. It allows the heart to be ready to receive. When I have lifted up and praised what is worthy of praise, my heart is more malleable. It's a little bit less like, right, what can you do for me? It's more malleable. It has flex. And it has a humility that recognizes there is more than my own dear, dear mind can concoct, can build. There's more than the momentum, the beautiful momentums, the difficult momentums. And something in the Dharma heart, in the seeker's heart, wants to know that, this wholesome desire for awakening. So I acknowledge my wholesome dependency on the teachings. And even if that's not my momentum, I don't have a personality construct that acknowledges my wholesome dependency on anything, really. Different than being needy or pretending I have no needs, we have a natural, wholesome dependency on everything. For air to breathe, food to eat, teachings to liberate, those to share them, those to to practice alongside. And then it comes to having heard the teachings, we know this. And that's where I'm going to chant. Listen for the frames I've offered. Anyone who knows it can join in if you know, if you, if you practice in the Thai forest tradition. Having heard the teachings, we know this. Birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, and death is dukkha. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha. Association with the disliked is dukkha. Separation from the liked is dukkha. Not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. In brief, the five focuses of identity are dukkha. These are as follows. Attachment to form. Attachment to feeling. Attachment to perception. Attachment to karmic formations. Attachment to sense consciousness. For the complete understanding of this, the Blessed One in his lifetime frequently instructed his disciples in just this way. In addition, he further instructed, Form is impermanent. Feeling is impermanent. Perception is impermanent. Karma formations are impermanent. Sense consciousness is impermanent. 
Form is not self. Feeling is not self. Perception is not self. Karmic formations are not self. Sense consciousness is not self. All conditions are transient. There is no self in the created or the uncreated. All of us are bound by birth, aging and death, by sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair, bound by dukkha and obstructed by dukkha. Let us all aspire to complete freedom from suffering. And I I can sense my gratitude now. The force of the wisdom and compassion of the Buddha that turned that wheel in that first sermon where he referred to these five is still turning. And it's still alive. It's a living tradition. Um, And I have more humility for this teaching than I did in the beginning. Um, More wholesome dependency acknowledged. It's not like we get it and put our feet up. (laughs) And um, we get woven into ways of seeing and sensing that liberate, that aren't mine. So Tanisaru Bhikkhu says that these five skandhas, instead of using them for the purpose of constructing and concocting and drawing this self together, instead of this, we use them because they arise, form, feeling, perception, formations. We don't start to have no formations, right? You're going to speak English and, until you can, or whatever language, until, you, until we can't. Instead of using them for constructing a self, it's me. We use them for the purpose of creating a path. Instead of carrying them on our shoulders like a pile of bricks that we're weighed down by, we take them off and lay them along the ground as a pavement to walk along. I think it's a really compassionate image. Because it's not making the scanners wrong. It's making the clinging, the clinging and the grasping, this is where we get tangled and deeply tangled. He gives images, the Buddha. (coughs) Form. So as I say, as I offer this, I invite you to listen also with your body your form, so that, yes, we can apply the learning later, but maybe here and now, your Dharma eye, E-Y-E, your Dharma eye opens more. This is possible through hearing the teachings. 
when we hear with our bodyfulness, our heart, our bright mind, the recognition of our wholesome dependency. Form, sense form right now. The image for form he gives is a glob of foam, bubbles, soapy bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. It's that. And you might think, blimey, mine doesn't feel like bubbles, <laughs> right? No, it can be the sense, the, the perception of form can be many, many things from like solid, like a rock, to tangled and tight, to transparent and translucent, to to really, 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 really small, to like the spacious blue sky, like a deep, dark velvet night, like a scratchy little something. But it's an image given, it's that ephemeral, right? Like in Yen I's talk last night, it's that. You try and put your hands, you try and grasp it. You try to grasp form through your perception. It keeps, you can't find it. If you keep looking, like, yeah, okay, I'm sitting here. But when I examine with mindfulness and investigation, I don't find the thing, the inherent thing that is the form. It keeps changing. It's elusive. Even the cells we know are changing constantly. There's not a fixed thing I can land there with. It's like bubbles, like foam. Sorry, like foam. Foam. Feeling is like a bubble. I got my bubbles and my foams mixed up. <laughs> Feeling is like a bubble. It's like a bubble. Pleasant, unpleasant, neither. Take this on as a way of looking when you sense in the intimacy of your practice unpleasant, unpleasant, and the grasping is withdrawn and we're just sensing and seeing steady enough. It can be seen as ephemeral, as light, as a bubble. Perception, a mirage. I'm going to do what Nikki does, asterisk. (laughs) I'll put an asterisk by mirage and maybe we'll come back to that. Fabricate uh, karmic formations. This is a lovely one. I remember my dear colleague and friend, if any of you know Pascal Eau Claire, sitting here talking about the image for karmic formations. Who knows what the image is? It's a banana tree. And he was so excited speaking about an, a banana tree. And you know what's special about a banana tree? I didn't know. Uh, it's hollow. There's nothing inside it. It's a banana tree. Like I believe, probably you all know this, I just happen to come from London where there aren't many banana trees, (laughs) right? It's empty inside. It's really obvious. And consciousness, sense consciousness, like a magician's trick. It's like magic. This has been taught by the solar friend, the sunshine friend, the kinsman of the sun, the Sakya clan he came from, of the solar friend. So I want to move to the second part and tell you one of the happiest practices I have done. There are many 
sometimes we're working at that edge where it's it's just finding my feet, just getting out of a tight spot, applying skillful means to just stay sane, stay here, I've got you. That's our practice sometimes. And that's not all our practices. That's important. I've got the spectrum from your left to my right. Right, do you remember? The difficult, the less tight, the opening and the deepening. This is, uh, it surprised me when I was given this practice. And I became more and more happy, and it wasn't the happy born of success or the avoidance of failure, and it wasn't the happy of being good at something and not being, and not being, seeing myself as bad. It wasn't the happiness that came from the absence of pain, because I believed those days there was a lot of pain in my body. It wasn't the habs the happiness born of the arising only of pleasure. It was a happiness born of peace and of liberating ways of seeing and sensing what was arising internally and externally. I was given by the teachers, so I'm telling it in this slightly dramatic way, right? because it's worthy of this, the Dharma. It's not like, well, here it is. No. The heart was prepared. And so I came humbly to receive this lens, this way of looking. As maybe we are after, maybe you came that, that way on day one. Certainly, I don't always come on day one humble with a heart poised. It takes a few days sometimes. But usually, after a few days, it's like, oh, I acknowledge my wholesome dependency. <laughs> How can you help me? All right. So I came and the teachers gave me a precious way of looking. And they said, here is this precious way of looking. Try it on. And let yourself sense sights, sounds, smells, taste, touches, thoughts, feelings, form, feeling, perception, etc. As dukkha. And I said, what, everything? Surely the dukkha is the bit that's just like horrible and then I'll get out of that and it won't be dukkha. And they said, see what happens when you apply this way of looking to all phenomena. Remember in the chant, form is dukkha, feeling, perception, karmic formation, sense consciousness. Sense consciousness can sometimes be lovely. What is it to see it as dukkha? And in my mind, I said, oh, there go these Buddhists again. Deflationary tactics to try and not make you too excited. Um, and, but I had been practicing long enough not only to see it that way. I think in the beginning, I would have done. It's like, no, I'm curious. Let's do an experiment. This is an investigation. This is one of the gifts of being human is to experiment with this whole instrument, this equipment in the service of freedom for the benefit of all beings. Okay, I'll try this. Everything that arises for a whole day, they said. So just as Yanai said last night, the Buddha commended his monks for, or the monk who was holding the reflection of death with every breath. We were invited to hold the reflection of this is dukkha with every breath. I'm already starting to smile. 
So if you're seeing it just through your head and you're convinced, ah, it is just those deflationary Buddhists, or, yeah, I knew it, everything is dukkha. <laughs> and it comes from that slightly more depressive place. You're really, really welcome. Stay, stay tuned. It's, it's not a confirmation of a postmodern desert. It's not a confirmation. He didn't have that issue. It's, it's not that. There's something liberating and beautiful here. So yes, to the tight end of the spectrum, absolutely. Where the sense of self and other and world is in a spin that's tight. Absolutely, this is dukkha. And then what if I practice with things that don't strike me as dukkha? Right? I don't think you're unsatisfactory. I don't think... How can I think I am miss? Well, you, you can think institutions are unsatisfactory. That's easier, isn't it? Right? But looking at a beautiful sight, a tree, coming into the Dhamma talk, what if I see this as dukkha? Now, this seeing isn't just from the head. It's from the heart. The heart is primed, remember. The heart is available. It's got a little bit of flexibility in it, and we have a body. This whole instrument is turning to this experiment of seeing everything as dukkha. And then I thought to myself, but isn't it a bit rude to think, to sense things as dukkha? Like, isn't that a bit rude? Um, if I come and see my husband and find to have mudita when he sees Joseph, what if I open my eyes and say, this is dukkha, <laughs> right? It's, it's not... <laughs> it's not your usual ro- romance story. But it's also not just about the phenomena that is seen. Because what is being pointed to is a dependent arising of the equipment of sensing and seeing, the sense of other, and the participation and the building that happens in that moment. Right? It's a whole gestalt, a whole arising of self, other, and the sense of world. What it is, is a withdrawing of investment. What it is from this precious seeing instrument that we are is not putting all my chips. I think that's what you say in roulette, isn't it? I'm not putting all my chips on that number or even most of them. I'm withdrawing my chips of investment that that... Sorry, I keep pointing to you. <laughs> that, they'll point to this empty cushion. That that spot that sight, sound, smell, that job, that person, that house, that meditative experience will be where my chips finally come to full investment and deliver ka-ching, you know, the bounty that comes. Stay with it if you think, yeah, it is deflationary. (laughs) It's a withdrawal of confusing pleasantness with satisfactoriness really satisfaction where that hunger the momentum of hunger that is seeking for something that also brings us to the path that also is connected to our desire and wholesome drive for awakening that that hunger cannot be fulfilled in any proposition of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch form, feeling, perception karmic formations, sense consciousness. I'm withdrawing the investment, but I still have 
a heart. I still have the wholesome desire for awakening. There's more to the path. So I tried. I practiced with beautiful sights. It was a winter retreat and there was a beautiful tree outside. I practice with the beautiful tree, the sense here, the seeing of the tree. This is dukkha. Not the tree is dukkha or I'm dukkha. This is dukkha. I practiced with the beautiful tenderness in my heart that was arising. It was, it was very pleasant. This is dukkha. I practiced with the walls in the room, the wooden walls. This is Dukkha, I said to them. I practiced on my way over here from the teacher village to the trees here. I looked, this is Dukkha. They smiled back. That doesn't have to happen, by the way. <laughs> Withdrawing the investment, not of metta, but of the weight of the demand on things that they should fill that hunger for something that I didn't know was coloring perception. And I was amazed at the joy to pull the investment of clinging. It released the tree, it released the wall, it releases the husband, and at the same time it releases me. Or more precisely, when we withdraw the grasping, when I pull the investment based in a wrong assumption, then the sense of self and the tree arise in a wholly different way. Many of you will have glimpsed, seen, dwelt, know this. Or said another way, in the Buddha's teaching of dependent arising, in short, nothing arises independent. Everything arises dependent on myriad conditions. The sense of self, the tree, withdrawing the investment that that should satisfy or if it's not, I'm doing something wrong. Things are supposed to satisfy because isn't that what all the ads are about? Withdrawing that wrong assumption, self can be released, sometimes fade. Other can be released and fade. And we enter deeper down that spectrum from a tight, bound clinging to untangling more and more and more and more and more. The canon of teachings from the Buddha is, the Buddha is depicted as saying that he teaches only two topics. Suffering and the end of suffering. And this is from Tanisaro Bhikkhu now. 
The Pali discourses show him using the concept of the skandhas, the kandhas they're also called, to answer the primary questions related to this topic of suffering. What is suffering? How is it caused? What can be done to bring those causes to an end? So this teaching, as he introduces the kandhas in the first sermon, is his response to these questions. So just to finish that piece about this is dukkha, I wonder if any of you know, maybe you've practiced this a lot, you can take, pick it up as a topic for half a day or a day here or elsewhere. The heart needs to be primed so it doesn't become a, only a philosophical mental proposition. Right? It's got a kind of devotional love in it as well. And it can be liberating, not only of the tight tangles, but of the lesser tangles, the things that don't even seem like tangles, and take us deep into the territory of understanding the dependent arising of the construction of self and other and world. Breathe there a moment. Kind of um, tempted to just sit with this. And it's, it's, I'm not doing that to be deliberately frustrating like the other night I didn't finish what I had to say. It's also kind of tuning to wondering what's needed when it when it's enough maybe maybe I will I mean I'll offer a little bit more but just that proposition can you let me know if you take it on here and now like if I come into this room I mean, it does sound strange to my mind as if it's a bit rude and disrespectful, but what about this is dukkha? What happens when I say that? Well, you can probably see. Right. Just a little moment opens and then the pressure, whatever pressure was there that I wanted you to like it, of course I would, that would be nice, that you would learn something, that you'll be fully liberated by the end. I don't put that pressure on it. <laughs> that you're fed well. It's like it kind of, I didn't know or think those things were there, but it's like, hey, siblings, in Dukkha. What should we do now, my loves? It frees up the metta. I'm pulling the investment that this has to 
be it. And it actually allows us then to participate more wholeheartedly. So pick this up if it feels like, hmm, I think there might be more for me there. Don't pick it up if it doesn't. I was going to speak a little bit about anatta. That's another precious seeing instrument. That when we see things as not self, as not having any uh, inherent core, as my one of my teachers, Martine Batchelor, she was a Gaia House uh, teacher for many years. She was a she's French and she was a nun in Korea in the Zen tradition for ten years as a attendant to a great master abbot and she would excitedly sit it's my i'm not uh, deliberately picking on my two french speakers tonight but she would also excitedly sit talking about not self saying sometimes it you think there's going to be this little sort of plaque in the middle it's got your name written on it it's not there look for it and she would be so happy about that it's another happy making lens if we look for that thing that seems to be so convincing to us on a conventional level. As Isabel said to me the other day, she was delighting as we walked over to the teacher cottage. It was a starry, one of these gorgeous starry nights, which, you know, where I live, there's more, generally more light pollution. And uh, she said, may I say, this from Joseph, she said, ah, Joseph came to Montreal uh, uh, this year, and he said this very cool thing. He said, you know, you look up in the sky, it's a bit, you know, this is a teaching on not-self. You look up in the sky and you see the constellation of the Big Dipper. You know that one? It took me ages to figure out, what do they mean, Big Dipper? I was looking for the thing from the amusement arcade, but anyway, it's, just, it's like a, anyway, it's a, the Big Dipper. There's no Big Dipper there, right? It's, it's a way we've concocted a formulation of something that it's empty. You know, you could concoct it a whole other way. He said, but once you've seen the Big Dipper, you can't not see it, right? So it's fine that there's a sense of self here. Of course, it's like a Big Dipper. But we can usefully see and sense with our Dharma ways of looking to see maybe it's a banana tree. And banana tree, less problem really. Then that email that comes and says, you didn't do that right. You've disappointed me. You got that wrong. That wasn't very kind. I have plenty of, uh, do you call it Velcro? That blue stuff. Plenty of karmic formations of Velcro that that can stick to, like a dart with Velcro on it. <laughs> I'm not kind. I did it wrong. I disappointed her. Boof, boof, boof. We work with the tight end of the tangle, yes. When it lands like a dart and the sense of self is wounded and hurt and painful. And we also work when that's not arising. Sometimes the darts can come and the banana tree, they can move through and go straight through. Nothing for it to land upon. Just contemplating that makes me breathe out. The 
slings and arrows of outrageous fortune don't have to be concocted as a self. And then actually we, we can respond with more skill. When they do get concocted as a self, we, that's the grounds for compassion to deepen and deepen. Kuan Yin comes with the human suffering. So that's good too. <laughs> but we work with it. But contemplate the possibility, and some of you will know it, you'll have seen it at times. You may have dwelled in it for a while. The slings and arrows can come, and they don't land. Not because you're disconnected, but because something is deeply liberated in that moment. (coughs) I'm going to read you a piece from a sutta about Sister Vajira. Vajira is, uh, means thunderbolt, like Vajra, if you know from the Tibetan tradition. Sister, Vaj- Sister Thunderbolt. What a great name. Listen for her practice, her deep, deep practice. At Savati, this is, as many of you will know, commonplace where people were practicing, usually says at Savati near Jetta's Grove. In the early morning, Vajira the nun put on her robes. See if you can feel into her. She, you, we put on our robes in the morning. We walk to the breakfast queue. We are echoing this renunciate tradition. We aren't monks and nuns. We're not pretending we are. But we are echoing and following in those footsteps when we humbly come to sit and walk and sit. So sense yourself in this play. Early in the morning, Vajira the nun put on her robes and taking her bowl and outer robe, she went to Savati for alms to beg for her meal. When she had gone for alms in Savati and had returned from her alms round after her meal, she went to the grove of the blind to spend the day. So firstly, a note from me. Look at the very embodied texture of the teachings. She got her robe, she got her bowl, she walked, she ate. It's very visceral. It's not like, here's a philosophical proposition. No, it's like, you're right there, like you, like us in the morning. Having gone deep into the grove of the blind, she sat down at the foot of a tree for the day's abiding. Guess who should come? Who did Nikki mention this morning? Important character? Mara. (laughs) They who shall not be named. They who should definitely be named. (laughs) They who will be named by the Buddhas and Sister Thunderbolt. Then Mara... Wanting to arouse fear and horripilation. Have you ever heard that word before? Isn't that a great word? Horripilation. <laughs> wanting to arouse fear, horripilation, and terror in her, wanting to make her fall away from concentration, approached her and, her dressed, and addressed her in verse. Right? Now, Mara, we've spoken about Mara a lot already. And this will confirm one of Nikki's things that she said this morning, but I don't want to give the punchline away. But you know what's going to happen at the end. 
don't tell anyone. <laughs> so Mara comes um, to arouse fear and her appellation. This isn't some other character. We know this, right? Mara, the person who spoke in the group today, that, hey, what about this? Concoct herself out of this. Okay, I'm, if somebody sends me an email, I'm bad. Okay, I'm bad. God, I'm bad. I better concoct herself out of this concoct herself out of this. Here we are. What about this existential question we can concoct herself out of? So this is what Mara said to Sister Vajira, pointing to her. By whom was this living being created? So he's getting, getting her on the existential philosophical department. By whom was this living being created? Where is this living being's maker? Where has this living being originated? And where does this living being cease? Sounds like quite interesting philosophical questions, doesn't it? But can you hear the assumption that's built into them, that's not even being questioned? Where is this living being's maker? Where has it originated? Where does it cease? Mara's questions, whatever Mara says to you about who you are and you're great, you're terrible, you arose there, this is the cause of everything, planting your idea of where your causes are in one single thing. Mara likes to do that. Anything Mara tells you about who you are, what you are, where you came from is delusion. I really like that shorthand. Ajahn Sachito told me, anything that Mara tells you, you're great, you were like this, you should be like this, you never were like this, you're going to be like this later, you've always been like that, you really oughtn't to be like that, you should be like that. Oh, you're one of those. You're not. They can be like foam, yes, they can have a conventional place. But if I take it on as my satisfactory home, I won't find it there. So the questions Mara asks here are quite interesting. These are the kinds of things that can engage some minds. Where'd I come from? <laughs> they can perplex us, these questions. They can entertain us. But the Buddha's not interested in those kinds of questions. What is he interested in? Suffering and the cause of suffering and the end of suffering. That's what's so clear about the Buddha. Mara's questions still has a big assumption in the middle. Vajira got it. Then the thought occurred to Vajira the nun, Sister Thunderbolt. Now, who has recited this verse? Because she's hearing it in her instrument. Who has recited this verse? Is it a human being or is it a non-human being? Then it occurred to her, this is Mara who has recited this verse, wanting to arouse in me fear and horripilation and terror in me, wanting to make me fall away from concentration. Then, having understood that this is Mara, she replied to him in verse, I wish I had met Sister Vajira. <laughs> what, she says, do you assume a living being, Mara? Do you take a position on that? This is purely a pile of fabrications and concoctions. This is a pile of heaps. Here, no living being 
can be pinned down. Highlight that bit. No living being can be pinned down. Just as when, with an assemblage of parts, there's the word chariot, even so when these heaps are present, there is a convention of a living being. For only stress is what comes to be. Stress, what remains and falls away. Nothing but stress comes to be. Nothing ceases but stress. So, For only unsatisfactoriness is what comes to be if you're looking. What remains and falls away is unsatisfactoriness. And the only thing that ceases isn't the living being. The only thing that ceases is the unsatisfactoriness. Then Mara, sad and dejected (laughs) at realizing Vajira the nun knows me, vanished right there. Let's sit together for a minute. Time is just coming up to five. Please take some time for walking or further sitting. Let's keep going. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.